0: This is Shifting Our Schools, episode 44, Do Stuff With a Purpose.
1: Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in
0: education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for downloading and tuning in this week. I'm so glad to have you as a listener and thank you for continuing To spread the word about shifting our schools, I'm so excited that this week I looked at the stats and we have just passed the 2000 download mark, which for me is a very interesting, um crazy idea that people listen to you. And I think it keeps reminding me as I was looking at the stats and saw that I'd passed uh, the 2000 download marks of shifting our schools. It just made me think that idea of authentic audience that we're constantly talking about with kids and knowing that people are are listening to you and uh, it just keeps you motivated. And the same thing with kids where we want kids to have that authentic audience and you can today through things like podcasts and blogs and everything else. So thank you for listening uh, and continuing to spread the message. Uh, It just keeps me motivated to continue to bring this podcast to you on a weekly basis. Um, So thrilled to read your tweets. Um, Tweets are starting to pop up everywhere at hashtag SOS podcast. So thank you for that. It's been great to interact with you there and bounce ideas with you on social media as well. We love hearing from you, our listeners. And just a reminder that this month we're giving away a one-year subscription to Flipgrid Classroom. It's a $65 value. However, in order to enter to win or order enter to, to enter the drawing, you have to head over to SOSpodcast.org slash questions, and you can leave your Flipgrid response for us there on one of our past episodes. Thank you to those who have already left responses. I Just before I started recording today, I went over and listened to uh, a bunch of people who have left responses there already, and just your own reflection based on the podcast. And I really appreciate that, of just where are we thinking in education, and, and what are you doing in your schools that might align? with what we talk about here on the podcast or even how maybe the podcast has you thinking about things that you can bring to your district or your area. So I really appreciate that. It's always great to hear from you uh, and, and I'm hoping to bring those on. I'm going to do an episode where we bring some of those in here as well. So thank you for that. Also, a reminder that you can get a free 45-day trial of Flipgrid Classroom uh, when you enter the code EDUROLEARNING, that's E-D-U-R-O LEARNING, all one word, Uh, at checkout. Again, that'll give you 45 day free trial of Flipgrid Classroom. So you can try it out, see if you like it. Uh, And then you can also enter to win it free for a year. Uh, If you just head on over to sospodcast.org slash questions and leave a response there and we'll do a drawing at the end of this month. Uh, So thank you so much. And again, thanks to Flipgrid for supporting education and the Shifting Our Schools podcast. Also, I've been talking about this the last couple of episodes, and I'm so excited that we have finally launched our 30 days of free PD at Eduro Learning. Uh, Kim, Christy, and I have been working on it for a while, and we're so excited to bring this to you. You just can go over to sospodcast.org/slash 30 days, so you can notice if you just go to sospodcast.org, all the links are across the top. But uh, sospodcast.org/slash 30, the number three zero days, all one word, and you can sign up and get started there. And what will happen is once you're signed up, you you will get an email every day for 30 days. One email a day for 30 days on strategies for the one-to-one classroom. That's the part that I did. You'll get 10 days on that. You'll get 10 days on coaching strategies for you coaches and Toses out there from Kim Confino, and you'll get 10 ways to connect your classroom beyond the walls of your school with Chrissy Hellier. So all three of us came together and created this um, 30 days of free PD. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, you can sign up at any time over at SOSpodcast.org slash 30 days, and the email's Will just start coming. You'll be getting videos and blog posts and PDFs as part of that as well. Also, just a quick reminder for you coaches out there: uh, the Kim Kafino's Coaching Micro Credential is launching in a few weeks. For more information on that, you can head on over to sospodcast.org/slash-coaching or just sospodcast.org and click on Coaching up in the main menu. It's an amazing program and a way that, again, we help here at Ederel Learning. The way that we're just trying to support you, uh, teachers and coaches in, in the integration of technology. So this week, I'm excited to bring back David Carpenter, who you heard on a previous episode, and David and I started Shifting Our Schools podcast clear back in 2008, so it's always great when I get a chance to catch up with him. And also Mark Hoffer, who has been on this podcast back in the day, back in 08 and 09 when we started it. He is a professor at William & Mary University and works in their Center for Innovation and Learning Design. I love that name. And today, he's going to be talking about some of the work he's doing with school districts on the East Coast to shift the learning in our schools. Schools. And with that, on to the show.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast. And today we have a very special guest joining us, Dr. Mark Hofer from the College of William and Mary. Hey there, Mark. Hey, David. Great to be back. It's been a while. Yes, it definitely has. And Jeff's there in Seattle uh, at the command panel Uh, connecting and recording. (laughs) You always have to have a mothership somewhere. It just happens to be Seattle at the moment, right? (laughs) Without a doubt. And I have to say, um, I'm waiting for spring, but my heart is very warmed by our coming together, the old EdTech Co-op podcast. So it's great Mm -hmm. to have the crew together and to talk about our usual kind of big ideas, but then how do we take them into our schools in a very practical fashion? I think that's always been our mantra between the three of us. Yeah. Um, and Mark, I've been down to William & Mary a couple times to visit with you and, and uh, participate in one of your programs. So why don't you, with our new audience here, um, share what have you been up to the last couple of years and what are you doing there at William & Mary? Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, I teach here in our
1: teacher uh, preparation program. And but in addition to that, we've started a center for innovation and in learning design uh, here at William & Mary. So. The whole idea is to bring together you know, folks here at the university, grad students that have you know, amazing teaching experiences with our partners out in uh, schools and try to figure out what are some new approaches to engage students in learning, what are some ways to go deeper in learning, and to try things out to collaboratively design uh, curriculum, uh, collaboratively design professional development, all with the idea that uh, working together, we can learn some great lessons. And then our work here at the university level is to research those efforts and disseminate the findings in ways that hopefully can shift teachers and school leaders practice.
2: So you're hitting on our guiding thing of how to shift schools. And before we started recording, you were sharing, you're working with a wide range of schools from rural schools, all the way up to Northern Virginia, where I am. Some of these big county schools, more urban, um, uh, very, sub, uh, much with the suburbs and very dense populations and, and high achieving schools. And you were sharing uh, an approach that you've been using recently on how to get things started in that mm-hmm. process of shifting, no matter, um, kind of where you are in the process. If you could tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting working in these range of schools. Like we do a lot of work here at a sort of a mid-sized school division, and then very large, you know, some of the largest schools divisions in the country, and then some really tiny rural divisions. And the interesting thing is that it's hard to shift in any of those contexts for different reasons. You know, it's it's like in in some of the larger school divisions they have great stuff going on, but it's like a giant you know, uh, aircraft carrier trying to get it to turn takes some time because there's, you know, necessarily there's a lot more bureaucracy and a lot more policy and, you know, uh, every every effort involves a lot of people. Um, In a rural division that's small, they can be very nimble, but they don't have access to maybe the same kinds of professional development or resources or, you know, maybe being near a university or another educational organization to kind of you know, uh, to explore new ideas and so forth. So everybody has their own challenge, but the one common thread that we figured out is that trying to do any big massive change all at once, just in any of those contexts, just stalls out, at least in our experience. And so what we've really emphasized is starting small, you know, uh, the mantra is, uh, you know, uh, small steps to big change that, you know, we feel like if we can, provide teachers and school leaders with small steps they can take to gain some momentum, build some confidence towards a bigger aspiration. Uh, you know, we, we find that it's a lot more effective. So that's where we've really focused a lot of our work, whether it's around curriculum design or, uh, you know, student voice in schools or, uh, you know, one challenge we've been working on recently is, um, providing kids in high school with uh, pathways to different careers and helping them kind of test the waters of different kinds of career clusters and so forth. Like, you know, how do you do that? I mean, that's a huge undertaking even for a medium sized school division. Well, you start small. And so that's, that's been the big mantra lately. And
0: by smart, small, do you mean like break things into like smaller parts and just like try to complete one thing at a time? Like first contact the community college and <laughs> then after you contact the community college, find the professor that would allow kids to, you know, come in and sit in a class. Is it that kind of like very, like almost to do-ish, to do list, list <laughs> Yeah, that, um, uh, copyright kind of, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> of things to, to kind of, uh, to kind of work down. Is that what you guys are seeing?
1: Yeah. You know, it's a good question. I think sometimes when the vision is clear and Mm -hmm. it's something that is like implementable, like if there is a kind of a a blueprint, I think that's a great approach because you got to figure out like starting small, like what's the first thing I can do to start building some momentum. So, so that's one way to look at the other way. is Sometimes it's such a big aspiration that you don't even necessarily know where to start. And if you try to plan out like the, the blueprint, you just get bogged down and, you know, you just get lost in the details. So in that case, the idea is like, what's to be really clear on where you want to go. And so like one of the things we've been playing with a lot here, we're, we're getting ready to launch a fellowship program around um, uh, cr- uh, creating more opportunities for student voice in schools. And so, <clears throat> you know, that if, you know, like say you're focused on students as consultants.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: that's a big aspiration, really cool, a lot of potential, but it's like, it's a lot to get your head around. So like one of the things that we try to help people do is to, to sort of break it down. Like what's the first step that you can try? Like uh, the folks at the D School that, that we've been doing some work with, they call it like the small scrappy experiment that you can try without any additional resources that you don't need to get any permission for that you can do next week. Hmm. And then you learn something from that. And that helps you to see what the next you know, a small experiment can be. And so then as you do more of those, then the blueprint starts to take shape. Then you can break it down into those, you know, steps and tasks. So it kind of depends, I think, on what you're trying to do. But, but I think either way, you can build a lot of momentum and you learn a lot to kind of help you move forward with those small steps rather than trying to tackle a multi-year initiative.
0: That's interesting because okay. you know, as a as a business owner, um, when we started Edura Learning, our whole thing was how do you get started? And we you read a lot of startup books, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is the idea is, is you've got you gotta get something going in order to know where you're supposed yeah. to go. And so this whole thing of a minimum viable project, right? An MVP. And that's, to me, it sounds like what you're trying to bring into schools is like, let's just go out and try this. It's not going to take a lot of resources and we'll get something on the ground. And then once we tried it, we can take a step back and say, okay, what part of that worked? What part of that didn't work? And then what's the next step after that?
1: Yep. um, Exactly. Great connection.
0: Yeah, and to me, that I mean, that I think that's that that idea of innovation in schools is. But and to your point, I think the thing that we lack in schools is either, and I don't know, and maybe you'll know more than me, is it the mindset that you can't take risks? Is that is that a risk aversion mindset in education, or is it leadership and school culture that doesn't allow that to happen? What are you kind of seeing with the schools you work with? Or is it a little combination of both?
1: I, I, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's a combination of both. I think sometimes, you know, I mean, one of the things that if you take a step back and think about education over the last 20 or 30 years, it's like, gosh, teachers, especially in public schools, teachers and students too, have just been conditioned over and over again yeah. to focus on these very discrete, measurable Yeah factoids, you know, or, or basic skills that we're measuring through a standardized test that, I mean, that's hard to get out of the way of, you know, it's hard to see kind of a different, so that's definitely part of it. But, you know, I I think more often than not, it's sometimes it's the school culture or the leadership culture that they're they're risk averse, you know, Uh, and, you know, and, and in many ways, like that risk aversion from teachers or principals or division level leadership, it kind of makes sense in a way because it's like different than a business. Like you take a risk in a business, especially if you're not leveraging a lot of the company's resources and assets, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot at stake, but you know, when you think about making a, especially leading towards a big change in a school, you potentially are impacting a generation of kids, right? Like every kid gets one chance to do third grade. Right yeah, you know, they get one chance to take you know uh, AP European history or whatever it is. you yeah. know and so it's like there is a higher level of risk, I think in some ways but but again, I think that's and again that's just more rationale for like this taking small steps and learning from it because then you're not risking a lot in any one decision you're making or any one effort you know yeah. so and you can course correct, I think more. There's a great book uh, by Peter Sims called Little Bets. And it's out of the corporate world. So it's a great connection, Jeff, that you're making there. And it's like this idea that, you know, one of the things you don't think about, um, especially principals, they want to have every question answered before you start a new project. Right. Because they want to be able to field questions from parents or whatever, and they want to be prepared. But the problem with that is when you do all that upfront planning, A, you can't anticipate you what's what 's going to happen, but b even if you do your best with that and you 're basing it on prior experience, you get so wedded to whatever you 've designed that you 're less likely to flex yeah when you see something isn 't working because, because you're right. you 're investing so much time out. over yeah. yeah exactly so so for all those reasons, I think those small steps are you know they make a, they make sense especially in education i think
0: yeah, and I, I like that idea of small steps and and being able to try something and I think one of the biggest issues we have that I see in education is the point that you just made is that we spend so much time planning it out Mm -hmm. that even after we get into the plan a little bit and we realize the plans not working we don't allow ourselves to say that was wrong that didn't work instead what we say is like well we'll just wait for another curriculum adoption seven years from now meanwhile We're yeah. still in a curriculum, you know, curriculum that isn't working for kids. It's not working yeah. for teachers. Nobody likes it, but we adopted it. So, you know, sorry, guys, we've got seven years before you get a new math curriculum or new science. Yeah. This is what you got, you know, and we don't give ourselves. <coughs> we're not very good at saying I messed up. Yeah. And how do we go a different direction? Right. And that, and that's a. I I think that's a I, I agree. I think there's a huge piece of that at all levels of education um, that are that you have to somehow find those small pieces that you can break off the corners to start somewhere. Cause it reminds me so much. And David, you'll remember this. Like when we started rolling out one-to-one programs, you know, we would spin our wheels coming up with the perfect rollout (laughs) plan. You know, you sat there and I know schools that for five years planned (laughs) to roll out one-to-one. And then by the time you got the plan perfect, all the technologies changed. You're back planning again. right? Like you can't get stuck in this idea of, of a perfect rollout or a perfect plan. And it's, 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 um, I don't know. I think, I think that's part of the reason why I've been so successful personally as a consultant, because it's just like, I just do stuff and then worry (laughs) about the consequences later. And I I even did that at schools when we went one-to-one, it was like, well, let's just do it. Like what happens if you give every kid a laptop? We'll figure out the parent permission later. Let's just go, let's go have them blog and then we'll ask parents for permission, right? Like, And so you work your way through that. I don't know. David, what do you think?
2: Well, I think you've got an Eduro T-shirt right there that says, we do stuff.
1: (laughs) I love it. I need to get one of those. Yeah, I
2: need to make one of those now. (laughs) Go for it. Well, you all went right down the road I was looking at and how, how, Mark, you can advise uh, schools to uh, differentiate into different groups that you can come in to work with. Because it's all three of us, During our times working individually with schools, we have our early adopters, medium adopters, late uh, laggards and all that stuff. And you find out where where they are with their instruction and you try to build from that. Um, And so I'm wondering if you've been able to approach that. Some schools, but I know it's a time concern and expected to follow a certain pathway that's very difficult to do. So that's one question. But the second one, if we can get to it, and I, we, I think all three of us listen to a lot of these podcasts for these uh, thought leaders out there and very self-actualized people, and they talk about in their lives, how did they break that kind of record that was always playing in their head, that, that, yeah. that neural network of this is just the way it is to, as we say, get to that growth mindset. So that's the second question. How are you working with schools to, help them break through those constraints that they only know what they know they don't they haven't had yeah. the chance out of as we're saying with fear or they had just haven't had the new ideas coming in to say oh that could be a possibility so those are two different avenues there
1: hmm. that's all i'd love to take a crack at that david because i think the second part is so the idea of the growth mindset in my opinion is much bigger than whether you're an early adopter early majority, late majority, because especially when you're talking about small steps, because I think focusing on small steps, what happens is that the early adopters, they dream really big, you know, and they take a big, bigger step or a more risky step. Whereas the folks that are a little more risk averse or that, you know, are like a little more hesitant, they can still take a small step. It's just going to be smaller than the early adopters or the innovators. Right. So I think that actually works. But I think if you don't have the growth mindset, no matter whether you're an early adopter or a laggard, you're going to, that's going to be a bigger barrier, I think. Yeah. Than, than, the, uh, than kind of where you are on that diffusions curve. At, at least that's that's the way I, my experience has been because we're working with teachers right now and uh, middle school teachers doing a, a deeper learning initiative. And, you know, we see teachers at very different levels. You know, some have done projects and maybe even public exhibitions for, with their students in the past and I mean, boy, they're just rocking and rolling and they're, they're thinking about how they can bring the community in to early parts of the project as mentors and things. Whereas, you know, the folks that are, you know, less experienced or less, um, you know, have, have you know, done, done less with project-based learning or deeper learning, they're, you know, what they're doing maybe is not as innovative, but with these small steps and trying to take these small risks and quick wins, they're moving forward. Where I suspected in the past, if the bar is always like this gold standard public exhibition where you've got adult mentors at every stage of them, like that is so far beyond Mm -hmm. where they might be starting that that's like a deal breaker from the get-go. But again, I think if you do these small steps and as you pointed out, David, have the growth mindset, you can work towards it no matter where you start. And you Mm -hmm. might go at a different pace or just like students. Yeah, it's exactly the same with students.
0: What is some of the work you're doing then around with school leaders around this idea of small steps and helping even school leaders to both change their own mindset and then start to change the culture of their school to allow teachers to have that?
1: Yeah. Mindset? Yeah. Good good question, Jeff. Um, because you said rightly like, earlier on this, like that question about like, is it the teacher's resistance or yeah. is it the school culture? You know, I think it's both, but you know, teachers have to work a heck of a lot harder to innovate if they're in a culture. You know, there are going to be some that will do it. You know, right. folks like you two, you know, would yeah. do that. No matter what culture you were in, you were going to make change happen, yeah. right? But you got to work a lot harder. Right. So, yeah, so one of the programs that we got involved with the Stanford D School um, is School Retool. And it's a fellowship program for principals. It's like a three-month fellowship where it's, it's real simple in, like, focus in the sense that the idea is they want principals to – develop a culture for deeper learning in their schools through um, developing a bias towards action to not think so much but to do to try you know Uh, the idea of small steps leading to big change and then the idea of failing forward that even when something goes wrong you can learn from that and it's really it is really a mindset shift I think that has to happen before they can do anything with culture yeah, uh, because if they, you know, if they're in that mindset or that idea that gosh everything's got to be perfect, I, there's no room for anything to go wrong. I've got to have all the answers. Again, you your the inertia is going to be too great, and then you're not going to communicate that to your staff either. Yeah, but if you think, go through this process, yeah,
0: yeah, no, just, I just I was going to say I think you know there's so much of those kind of leadership things. I think that we are seeing specifically in the tech world mm-hmm. and as school leaders, we. We need to be paying attention to of the new, almost the because things move. I mean, I think part of our issue is is school systems were never never designed, and we're looking at a hundred over a hundred years of history now, where things did not move very fast in the Mm -hmm. 1900s when this thing was created, right? And now we find ourselves in an era where information is moving so quickly, and the data—I mean, just the data that schools have—you know—we talk about talking with the school the other day. I was like, you're talking about making data data, data decisions, right? Data-driven decisions. Like you don't even know the data that you have. Like you have so much data on that one kid. Like, you know what they ate for lunch if you wanted to. <laughs> you know. Like if you wanted to, you could have so much data. There's so much coming at you that I don't think this system, and we don't train, we don't train leaders to be that way. We don't, is to keep up with this new world. And it makes me think, you know, when you're talking about that, that being able to fail forward thing, I have a friend who works at Amazon, because of course I live in Seattle. Everybody has a friend that works at Amazon <laughs> And he he is actually a project manager for one little part of the website. And like I could show you where it was because like he takes me to the website. He's like, you see that one little box right there? That's my box. Like that little <laughs> box, but here's that box my box. But his team, the mantra of his team is fell fast, fell loud. Yeah. It's not succeed. It's not make the best box on the entire website. It is the entire team runs on the mantra, fail fast, fail loud. So your job is to try and figure out what we shouldn't do and then celebrate what you learned in figuring that out so that we know not to do it again and continue to move forward. That idea of, of failing forward, right? That idea of you're going to fail. Just, let's just accept that there's going to be failure. Yeah. And in that failure, we're going to learn something. We're going to learn something that's going to allow us to move forward again. And I think that there's so much learning. And I, I think last year's keynote, that was a big part of my speech last year in Keynotes to Schools is this idea of like, this is the way the world works today. You know, I think of Elon Musk launching, I mean, how many rockets did he blow up? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally like, we're knocking millions of dollars. Like this wasn't like, no, like blew up rockets to get them to land by themselves. And now he just throws a Tesla in space. Like, I mean, <laughs> talk about fell fast, fell loud. I mean, that is failing in front of the world, right? And this is the way that we work in, 20, in the 21st century. That is part of the mindset that I think we have to somehow bring to schools. And that to me is part of the shift yeah. is that you can't wait for a seven-year adoption for mm-hmm. your math curriculum because there is so much stuff being shared by teachers out there you, you, you can't do that. You have to understand that. And I love this. I was at a keynote a couple of weeks ago and it's been in my head that the keynote said, what if we just thought of the world as our curriculum? Mm. Just stop there. What if you, ha- every kid has a device. There's wireless in every school almost now. What if the world was your curriculum and you didn't have to do this stuff? Like you still have standards and benchmarks and we still want kids to learn. But the world's your curriculum. And if just that mind shift alone to me, like it's blowing my own mind of like, that's the way I've always thought, but I've never put it in simple terms of just yeah. like, what if we just open this thing up and let kids go?
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and I love that idea too, Jeff, of, of letting principals, teachers, and most importantly, students know that's the way you make progress is you fail. Yeah, you know, exactly. worst, uh, I was, I got to find the picture and I'll share it with you guys if I can find it. Um, but I was out at high tech high a couple years ago and I saw in one of the classrooms. I wish I knew the teacher's name so I could give him or her credit, but there was this wall of all these mismatched picture frames and the the uh, title at the top was "Wall of Epic Failure." Oh, cool! And it was all these kids that had created some kind of project where it went wrong, and they're posing proudly with me, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. And I thought, what an because the the way you got on the wall was you failed big, but you shared with everyone what you learned from the experience. Yeah, and like, what an awesome
2: yeah. experience
1: for kids, you know? Because it's exactly the opposite in schools yeah. right now that, you know, it's all about your scores and about, you know, and if it's kids going to college, it's where did you get in? Where did you not, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, everything is about being perfect. Everything. Yeah. And and
0: I agree. And I think that's the cycle of school right now is I hear teachers complain that all kids care about are grades. Mm -hmm. And then I turn around and I ask teachers, I am like, well, what are you doing to help take that pressure off of grades and help kids do projects that allow them to fail, allow them to learn, allow them to improve. (laughs) Let's just talk about improvement, not one final score that, and they won't, they can't answer that. So, here you are teaching in a way that leads to grades, and then you're upset that kids only care about grades and only do stuff. And the cycle continues. Everybody is frustrated, right? I mean, students, we're, we're looking at almost all time lows, especially in high school, of kids engaging in yeah. school. We're looking at teachers having some of the lowest morale I've ever seen in education. Mm-hmm. And it is this downward spiral that everybody is in this negative downward spiral. And how do we help people? Pull their head up out of that and create a culture that is that is different. And to me, that's what that's what worries me with the schools I'm working with. Is I am seeing kids disengaged. I am seeing teachers disengaged. I am seeing administrators frustrated that they can't pull like they like an airplane is in a dive mode and they yeah. can't pull it up. You know, however hard they drive, they can't get the plane to, to level out. And that, to me, what, what from what from my end, that to me worries me the most is I'm just seeing how, how do we somehow shift that, yeah. get, get the plane back to at least flying steady. And we don't have this low morale of mm-hmm. around everyone um, feeling like there's no way out of the cycle yet the world around us. I mean, our economy is at an all time high. We're no. creating stuff at an unbelievable pace. Technology has rocked our world. And yet we can't somehow pull this thing up and, and get beyond that. And that to me is like, one of my my biggest struggles right now. You were yeah. talking about before we started recording the these three things, one of them being small steps. Can mm-hmm. you kind of touch on what are the other two kind of things you help school leaders?
1: Yeah. yeah the um I guess you start with this idea of biased action.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: this like it's better to try something, yeah. you know, and learn from it than just go through the motions and just right. you know and you know, there's a lot that can be learned even when you fail. So that idea of like, hey, let's let's move forward. You know, it may not be perfect, it may be a total flop, but at least we're learning something, we're moving forward. And then the other piece, then starting small, and then um, the, uh, uh, the last piece is just that, you know, giving permission to fail
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the idea that as something doesn't work, you're learning from it. And one of the things that they introduce that, that I'm starting to see all over the place, and I love it because I think it's really powerful, is like you said, Jeff, we're drowning in data, right? Right, but you know, a lot of that data is not very meaningful.
2: Exactly. So
1: one of the things I I wish I knew where the source was for this, but, um, so be it. It's this idea of looking for uncommon measures, you know, like Mm. our common measures, our grades, attendance, referrals to the principal, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what are those uncommon measures that would be indicators of a change in culture? So like one example that they use that I think is really powerful is, um, that, uh, Kids in a school, they, they did sort of like a live poll thing. Uh, the principal was trying to figure out like what, what were their um, flashpoints, you know, like what were kids really frustrated about? And one of them was that students didn't feel respected by adults mm-hmm. in the building, which mm-hmm. probably could be true for just about any yeah. high school in America, right? Yeah. And so that's a huge problem, right? Like what do you right. do about that? And one of the things that the principal was doing kind of a walkthrough or something, or maybe one of the, I think it might've been a student pointed it out to him, but they like in the lunchroom, rather than just having like a ketchup dispenser and like a basket with napkins, like everything was handed out like, you know, military style. Like (laughs) Like you get one napkin napkin at a time. (laughs) exactly. And, you know, you had to ask for a fork, you know, and it's like, well, what does this communicate? You know, like you don't trust us to, you know. And so that was a really uncommon measure. So what they did is they changed out how they did that. That was a small step. Yeah. And they put ketchup dispensers, you know, yeah. <laughs> and what they found is that kids were perfectly responsible with that, you know, and yeah, they might have used a little more ketchup, but you know, yeah. like that was worth it to kind of be a tiny step towards demonstrating that you trust students. So yeah. I thought that was it. So like, look at what are those uncommon things? Because culture is hard to measure with the kinds of things we typically look at.
0: Yeah. And so thinking about that, and I'm trying to think, how do we make this practical for people that are yeah. listening and especially administrators? I was wondering like at your university, like you work at university, what is, what is like one small thing that you feel working there that allows this culture of failure or this culture to fail forward to exist? Like, is there something like the, I don't know, the person over top of you, the dean or the provost, I don't know who you report to above you, but is there something that they do or they say that you feel like you have permission to like, yeah, go try that and see if that works? What, what, what is it in your own culture? And then David, I'll ask you next, like what's something you had from a leader um, at some point that kind of helped to stem that culture to allow you the permission, right? Giving you permission to,
1: to do that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I think one is to be, before you do anything, especially the school leader, is to be really clear on what your aspiration is. What do you want to see happen? Right. And then being a detective and figuring out who is doing something, taking some risk towards that aspiration, and then whatever way you can do it to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's highlight, you know, asking that person to, to get up and share what they're doing at a faculty meeting or acknowledging them in some public way or, or featuring them on the website or whatever, you know, it can be done in a zillion different ways or, or tweet it out you know, yeah. you know 10,000 followers or whatever. But just like identifying those, even if it's a small thing or maybe it's a big thing, you know, great, but mm. to celebrate those successes that move it because then that gives people more permission, I think, to take risks, hmm. you know, than they might, especially if they know that it's valued and appreciated and noticed.
0: Right. And noticed. I think that's a big one. So yeah. So you?
1: whatever in your context, I think whatever yeah. we recognize it, that's, yeah. I think that's a good small step.
0: I love that. How about you, David? what is exact, something that I you've had
2: I say the exact same thing going out and documenting those examples of innovation whatever term we want to use and documenting through video or photos or uh, audio recordings and putting them at, putting them out there uh, like uh, mark saying but also for the greater community that the parents and people who are just following the school can see in That's such a uh, celebration It's such a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had to see instructional technologists or, I guess, coaches now um, being the leaders in that. And kind of turning the scales a little bit, um, one of the things I used to do with principals was to sit down and almost putting on my counselor cap and saying, what are some things that you want to see us do, helping them develop their vision uh, and kind of giving them permission to to climb out of the daily email that they respond to Mm -hmm. and know that they have people around them that want to support them to be instructional leaders. Um, I think in today's world with our public school principals and vice principals and other administrators having so many things on their docket Mm -hmm. that... They went into education as teachers, yeah. and that love for children uh, and wanting to do the right thing, but then they, they get bogged down by the system. So how can we, on a very personal level, help support them uh, and celebrate when they take those little steps? Mm, I, I remember I used to go into one principal that I used to work with, and when he would give talks... So the whole faculty, he did a really great job. he bring in some wonderful pedagogical ideas. Man, I'd just follow him out the door and just say, that was awesome. And yeah. when can we do that again? Yeah. So that was that was uh, definitely one way I tried to follow through on that. Now, and continue on the practical, Mark, with the school retool, what were maybe some of the strategies that you all were using to help these administrators get out of their normal thinking? And then maybe what were um, some takeaways that you were learning from them to better support them, kind of connecting to what I just said? Yeah, great question. So two things that I've appropriated, well, three things, I guess I'll just share really quickly. I won't go
1: into, but, you know, if you want to hear more about them, great. One is like to, you know, like typically for a professional development session where everybody's sitting and listening, you know, or they're maybe doing a, you know, a uh, individual or small group activity or whatever, but we're always sitting at a table and everybody's got a device in front of them. And, you know, you're doing a little shopping, you know, while you're there, you know, yeah. you're not necessarily really minds on engaged. So one thing is to get people up and everything's posted on the wall. So everybody's standing, you know, whether it's you're, you're doing activities with posts, it's you're doing, you know, you're, you're circulating around, you know, you're doing a lot of gallery walk kinds of experiences, but you're like up, you can't kind of hide behind your computer screen you know, you're up and you're together, you're discussing. So that just working on the wall, I think is like a big, big game changer. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jax, no, hold on.
0: I, I totally, I totally agree with you. It's something that we have found in our trainings that we do with school districts. If we truly want educators to discuss and dig deep, we have to physically remove them from God. their devices. And that's what I tell them. I'm like, you need to do this with kids. Like, if I truly want you to do something, yeah, sure, could we have done it on a computer? Yes, we could use Padlet, we could use 100 tools. Yep. But if I really want you to talk to each other, we put big old sticky sheets on the wall, yep. and we walk around, and I physically have to remove you from your devices. And to me, you know, when we talk about bring this back to a tech thing, to me, that's that's the biggest thing, is like, we, we we're very, quick to say that this is a generational thing. And it's not, it's a society thing right now. And I did a, I did a little experiment a year ago with a school I started working with. I had a hundred administrators in the room. It was an admin day. I would do another one again tomorrow with the same group. But so I had them all come in and of course they've all, you know, been on their cell phones, like you're saying, they've been, you know, they're coming out of work yep. and I had them all close their laptops and take out their phones and push them all to the middle of the desk. Mm -hmm. And so I have a hundred, right? I have a hundred administrators at this district. And then I just watched the clock. How long do you think it took a hundred administrators who know what it means to be a good student, right? Who knows what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to, you know, um, there's an authority figure at the front of the room and what it means to show respect. How long did it take a hundred administrators before (laughs) one of them peeked at a device? What do you think? Take a guess. One minute. 43 seconds.
1: 43
0: (laughs) seconds they made it. And it was a great to your point though that if we want people to truly disengage, we have to physically remove them from their devices. And that is during staff meetings, that is during PD days. That is in your classroom. If you want kids to turn and talk, don't say turn and talk and allow them to have a cell phone and one earbud in. It's not gonna happen. You gotta get people up moving around and you physically gotta remove them from the devices for sure. Yep.
1: Yep, and set some constraints. Like you have four minutes. Yeah, to do this task, you know what I mean. So there's the not. Timer that is the best
0: option. I just totally. there's the podcast coming out this week is called Highly Structured, Loosely Organized. It actually just dropped an hour ago, and you'll have to listen to it because that's what it talks about. Like, my favorite thing in a training, even PD with, with teachers, is a big old timer on the board. You've got ten minutes.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: If you let people just say, "Oh, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you some time to go and research this," yeah, they're all playing. They're all playing centipedes not just kids. like you know, there's, there are Adults are off shopping or checking email, but everybody will get distracted by the devices. If I truly want you focused, I've got to set a timer or I got to re- physically remove you from the device. Yeah, I love totally. that that's coming out of your research though, that, that if you want teachers to talk and to think, you've got to get them up and moving around.
1: Yeah. And it's such a simple thing you can do in any setting, any yeah. context. Yeah. And I'm doing it with my students too. Same thing. You know, because they, it's the same habits you see. So yeah, absolutely. So that's just been a total game changer. Uh, Another thing I think that we don't do enough, I'll say I don't do enough, uh, and I think it's true for a lot of educators, is giving them time to reflect in community. Like what we used to do is we would have, you know, in any kind of longer term PD where we'd give everybody sort of like a reflection journal and, and occasionally we'd give them time to stop and think and reflect and jot down some things in their journal. And that was good. You know, that was good. But one simple thing that we do um, is I like, I learned, I wish, I wonder. Mm. And so you get four post-it notes and you write one idea, one thing that you liked during the session, one thing that you learned, one thing that you wish for your practice or for your school, and then one thing you're wondering about. And it's so interesting. It's such a simple thing. And then each person goes out one at a time and posts them together and sort of announces what they are. And it's such an interesting experience because you start to see patterns emerge Mm. and people that thought that they were the only one puzzled by something or struggling with something, they see that there's a whole group of people because, you know, they kind of post those posts, it's all together. So that's another thing. It's like, I think that reflecting community is sometimes even more powerful than the individual reflection.
2: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's
1: another quick one.
2: Yeah. Um, we've we've spoken a few times over the years about the thinking routines, and that's yeah. one you just mentioned there. Um, and the folks at Harvard School of Education and Project Zero, they've had mm-hmm. these routines out for, for decades now. But I just wonder how many of them are, are how many folks really know about them and know back to what you were saying, taking that structure of the protocol, but then it leads to just this open, free sharing of ideas. And as you just said, these connection of ideas and one realizing that they're not alone, they're having similar thoughts. So I just think building in those structures and protocols, that's when we talk about project-based learning and constructivist learning, so, so many people can push back and say, well, it needs to be structured. And, and those of us, it's very structured, but it just, mm-hmm. the structures are at the start and then the learning and the thinking and the sharing just go in all these different directions, and then you bring it back together. Um, and, I, and I think that really fits for, for PD as well, because it is learning, just like we're doing with our kids.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And one thing that we see a lot when we do those reflection sessions at the end is they'll say, like, you know what? I, I really liked this protocol we did, and I'm going to try it with my students tomorrow. I love that. It's like you, I mean, we're doing that on purpose. We're sort of modeling some of this stuff with the idea that it could translate, but it's awesome that they make that connection and they're ready to run with it. And they've hopefully seen it modeled well enough that they at least know how to appropriate it and make it work with their third graders or their juniors or whatever. So yeah. And, you know, because I don't know that teachers get exposed to a lot of those thinking routines. So yeah, that's a cool way to do it. And
0: what we've, what we've started to do in a lot of our trainings is actually stop and then explicit, explicitly talk about the routine we just did. And so yep. to even break it down farther, yeah. because we were finding that we were, you know, we were running trainings using great pedagogical uh, approaches, using thinking routines, and we would get done at the end of the day. And we would say, look at all of the things that we did. And they're like, well, we didn't talk about those. We're like, well, we didn't talk about them, but you experienced them, yeah. right? And better. <laughs> so we started. We started having to like, okay, well, we're going to do a, you know, we're going to do a post-it note sticker activity on the wall and we're going to do, you know, a walk around and look at, you know, um, a structured note taking or whatever it is. And then we actually like, all right, now we actually tell them like, now go back up to a 10,000, you know, high view and look at what we just did. How did we structure that? What was the timing of that? How might you apply that in your classroom? And then give them time to reflect right there of how that might apply in their classroom. My favorite was, is we just, um, one of the trainings we did it was a really, really rough group. Um, and the group was just miserable. They've been miserable the entire, every training we do with them. They're just that group, right? They're that class, that class. Yeah. That you want to this is that group. And my favorite though, was the last one. We got the, we they get um, little slips of paper that the district wants them to fill out on the, the training, rate the training on one to five. And this teacher had given us all ones and one two on the low end and said like worst training ever, wasted my full time. And then at the very At the very end, the last question was, is there anything you're going to take away from back to your classroom? And said, no, this was a horrible training, but here are three things I learned. And I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) A Horrible training. And here are three specific things that you tell me you're going to take back to your classroom and try. Like, I'm just thinking like, what's the mindset of the teacher? (laughs) It's a horrible training, but here are three things in four hours or six hours that I learned that I'm going to go back and apply this week. And I'm like, that's just so weird to me. But it's that, it is, it's that, that idea of reflection, that idea of being able to give people time to make it meaningful. We know that about adult learning theory, you know, yeah. adults, even more than kids, yeah. need to know how can I use this tomorrow? And when you were in a PD session or even in a, I think that's the reason why staff meetings are so, are so poorly rated because I see very few staff meetings where teachers walk away knowing what they need to do tomorrow or knowing what something they can take away and apply tomorrow in their classroom. And we know that that's the way adults think. Don't waste my time with something that I got to do a week from now or a month from now. I need to know how, how can I use this tomorrow? If I can't use this tomorrow with my kids, don't talk about it. Right? Like that's very much a, very much an adult mindset.
1: So. Yeah. And, and that made me think Jeff, one last thing I think that's been really valuable that I've learned over the last couple of years is, the idea that what I want to do in a PD session or, or if I'm teaching a graduate level class is I want to give people ideas or tools to think with. Yeah, I'm not going to tell them what they need to do. I'm not going to tell them like, here's the right way to approach this, but I'm going to give them some structures, some thinking routines to go through that they can make meaning and make sense of it for their context. Because I mean, we know yeah. every school is different. Every classroom yeah. is different part of the day is different. Even if it's the same group of kids, it's different after lunch than it is, you know, right before recess, you know? So it's like, you know, to tell somebody like, this is what you need to do is absurd, but to give them some practical things that they can think through and make those decisions, those design decisions, like designers, not short order cooks, right. Then they can take it back and they can do something with it. And it honors their experience as professionals. Yeah. And adults. Um, <laughs> you
0: know. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that to me that that's the core of teaching. Like yeah. that's the part I love is like I, I hear about this concept or I saw somebody do it that way. And I take it back and I mold it and I use it yeah. my way, right? Absolutely. And with my kids because I know that my kids need X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And to me, and, and I'm finding um, that that's part of that mindset that I don't always see. And I don't know if that's part of a growth mindset, if that's an innovator mindset, which is the new term coming out. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what that is, but a lot of times I see that a yeah. uh, that you know, and again, I think it goes back to the culture we've created in schools. But it's very much like I just want something that I can plug and play. Just give yeah. me something to plug and play, and I don't. I need to know that it works. And I need to know it works with my kids and I need to know it works tomorrow. And I don't want to think about how I might have to adjust it. I just need it to, I need to plug and play it. And I don't know if that's the part to me that I'm just like, well, it might not perfectly plug and play. You know, right. you might need to, you might need to mess it around the edges a little bit. Like we did one, we did a, a thinking routine, like concentric circles. Have you ever done the concentric <laughs> circles? thinking yeah.
1: routine?
0: And we had teachers come out and say, I don't have room in my classroom to do concentric circles. And I'm like, well, could you do two lines? Like, I mean, the the concept of getting kids up away from their devices and sharing learning is the concept. It doesn't need to be a circle. It can be a line. It could be an oval. You could have kids sitting. I mean, but it was just this, they're like, well, I don't have room in my class to have kids all stand in a circle. And therefore, what you just showed me, I can't apply. And that's that mindset that I don't know how to, A, not be frustrated and B, help Teachers in that, you know, no. I don't know. Any well, advice? it's an uphill
1: battle, I think. because <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, I think it's partly because, again, I think you know, with more and more scripted curriculum or common assessments that all the teachers in the building are working towards, or what you know, I mean, some of that designer mentality or spontaneity or whatever has been kind of squeezed out. You know, yeah, one of one of the people that uh, 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 Peter Worth from School Retool. I don't know where he came up with this, but he always talks about constraints as design opportunities, but the more constraints you have, that's the more opportunity to be creative. And I believe that, but I think sometimes teachers are so squeezed that it really is hard, you know? And so that goes back to the culture piece. So that's where you can't, you know, like I think to really be innovative, you need innovative teachers, but you also need a supportive culture that's empowering. And yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So trying to work
1: out from both ends I think yeah. is, is the way to go. Top down and bottom up.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, Mark, to kind of pull things together here with the school retool how could let's say people are listening in the state of South Carolina and mm-hmm. they school retool isn't going on there is this something that's being funded out of the the D school at Stanford or is it another organization how how would people or who would people contact to say, "Hey, I want to see if we can get School Retool going, a cohort going in my state, or something like that." Do You have any idea?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good, good question. So you, the, you can just go to SchoolRetool.org, just all together, and um, they you can see where the upcoming cohorts are going to happen. They're all over the country. Uh, you know, I, I think they're up to maybe fifty-some cohorts uh-huh. now that they've they've run. And they're all over the country so you know if they one if one happens to be there you know in your area there's a way to just apply right there um, otherwise they there's a way to uh, forget how it's framed on the website but basically like request you know like mm-hmm. are you part of a consortium or a large school division you know or whatever that you want a cohort so there's definitely a way to do that um it is uh you know it's it's limited to just school principals at this point um you know, I think sometimes you can be an assistant principal or a curriculum coordinator or something as well. But um, yeah, that's one of the things that we're trying to do. It's, it's early days, but one of the things through our Center for Innovation, we're trying to develop some uh, totally asynchronous, independent, but also some kind of cohort based um, online experiences that take some of these concepts of starting small. So we have one, um, we're, we're kind of refining it right now, on uh, we're calling it Pathways to Deeper Learning. So it's breaking it down into small steps and quick wins, this process building towards, uh, you know, like a, you know, what you might consider gold standard PBL Um, doing another one on um, uh, the idea of Kaizen, like the sort of the mindset part. So like this idea of of, uh, continuous improvement, change for the better, like how can you do that? No matter what your position is in the school and how much agency you have, how can you make change? So we're trying to do that. We're trying to incorporate that because, you know, but that's one thing we've learned in working with the rural schools is when you're geographically isolated, like that, you know, online is the great equalizer. You know, mm-hmm. if, if teachers can access it when they want, where they want, you know, that's the way to go. So, so we're working on that stuff We're we're trying to learn the lessons sort of face to face and in person and then in a blended format. And then we're transitioning, transitioning them to be fully online, but mm-hmm. we're still a little ways away from that. But, but I do, I do encourage, especially if you're a school leader, listening to this, Check out School Retool. And even if you can't be part of a the cohort, they've got some great resources on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I would say that's very much the same model we're doing at Edura Learning. You know, we've just, I mean, yep. we're we're trying to we're trying to balance that idea between giving teachers the quick fix, which is what every teacher wants. But at the same time, I mean, we've been for a long time, you know, with our COTEL program and other programs, we've had this idea of like long-term cohort model, long-term learning. We're doing that now We're we're calling them micro credentials, but we've got people going through micro credentials now that we will, we spend 24 weeks with you. It's almost an entire school year, you know, in a small group of five to 15 people, small cohorts, for an entire year, and it's it's helping teachers take one small type, one small bit at a time, right? What is the one small step you can take today? We're gonna check in. We're doing it almost all virtual because teachers can be anywhere, you know, and they don't have to drive. Um, and then what's your one next small step? And what's your next yeah. small step? And what's your next small step? You know, and That's but it. when you can get a cohort together like that, and I was even looking, I was just on the Retool website. We'll make sure it makes it in the show notes. But you know, they're saying three months. Like we need five PD days and we need three months and you have to, I mean, change takes time and you've got to dedicate your, your time to that change. It's not going to be a quick fix. Oh gee, I went to a PD training and you know, now I'm going to go back and plug and play this, this this kind of change takes, takes time and it takes effort and you've got to be able to put in the time and the effort. And we're seeing amazing things out of the opposite, out out the back end of ours of people willing to put in the time in public schools where they feel frustrated, they feel they have structures in place, but with the support of somebody in a cohort model, you can take one small step that leads to the next small step that leads to the next small step. And next thing you know, like we have one teacher that just got Twitter unblocked in her school district because (laughs) there's now a reason to unblock Twitter, right? Like she showed the power, but it was through, I mean, this has been in, in what, what are we in? We're like six months, seven months into school. Like we're close to the end of the school year and it's taken her that long to build up those small steps to create real change. Okay. Yeah, that—that's the the part that I think we see with what what School Retool is doing, with the work that you're doing, and the work that we're doing—is this yep. idea of cohorts, long-term commitment. Let's take small steps. We are here to support you. We will we will walk you through this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's great stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: All right, um, guys.
0: So, cool. This, Thanks, David.
1: Yeah. Wrap us up yeah. here.
2: So, it, uh, today's talk has been so excellent for me because it, for me it's always about pedagogy and um, finding ways to help students learn and then the technology comes in to help the process so we've covered that in spades and i think jeff you brought up some excellent points about moving the technology to the side so that we can come together uh, connecting to um, mark's work and saying have that wall of, of post-it notes where you can share ideas and see what you have in common and then another big takeaway, kind of the, a little um, way to finish the show is to get out there and just do stuff, yeah. but do it with small steps. Hmm.
1: Yep. And one last caveat, do it with a purpose in mind. Change yeah. for the sake of change doesn't accomplish anything. Excellent. You got to know where you want to go and what you want to do and then take those small steps.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you joining me for uh, a good 45 minutes here, almost an hour here. It's, it's always great. And I'm sure yeah, we're going funny. to do it again because the three of us can't help but get together and just Absolutely. start recording stuff. I love it. So, <laughs> so
1: Definitely. It's fun. It's thank good you. from
0: coast to coast. So appreciate Thanks, it. Gentlemen. And uh, yeah. All right, guys, we'll see you, we'll see you next time.